Amen. If uh, you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And as you're opening your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, we're going to be looking at uh, the church today, the church that was birthed after the ascension of Jesus. And we're talking about the New Testament church. We're talking about this church that was birthed after Peter preached an inspired sermon by the Holy Spirit. And when he preached this sermon, 3,000 people were saved. Can you imagine that? 3,000 people were saved. And so as the church that started only with 120, now what do you do with 3,000 people? Imagine that. What are you going to do with all these people, with 3,000 people? And as we look at this, as we're going to see today, the Holy Spirit is going to give the framework for the church. The Holy Spirit is going to move the disciples to do certain things, to do certain activities, and this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about these activities and really what makes a healthy church. See, the title of today's message is The Framework of a Healthy Church, The Framework of a Healthy Church. And when we look at this framework, I truly believe that this is the same framework that the Holy Spirit wants to move today in and through the churches. And we know that it's the Lord that multiplies. And I believe as he multiplies, he just doesn't want to multiply in number, but his intention is that you and I would grow, that you and I would grow in our spiritual maturity, that we would mature as Christians, that we would mature as people in the Lord. And the formula is extremely simple. I want you to know that it is very simple, the framework for the church. It's as simple as salvation. Salvation is by faith alone. Imagine that. That's how simple. If you ever want to be saved, if you ever want to spend eternity with God, all you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. And when you believe, you're going to give your life to him. You're going to now live according to what he teaches and what he tells us. And so with that, let's go ahead and read. We're going to read just six verses, and we're going to read beginning in verse 42. It says there in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You know, as we look at this, right, we know that Dr. Luke, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things to us, you know, as we look at this, right, we, we have a sense that, you know what, that there's a framework that is being developed for the church. And why was this framework being developed now? Because as it says in verse 41, it says that then those who received the word were baptized. In other words, those that received from Peter, when Peter preached that amazing sermon, it says there that 3,000 souls were added to the church. Can you believe that? From one day to the next, what we have here is we have a mega church. What defines a mega church? A mega church is a church that has 2,000 or more people in average attendance. So what you have here is a mega church from one day to the next. It's just not 300. We're talking about 3,000 people. 
Can you believe that? 3,000 people. And so what does it say in verse 42? As we now get into the scriptures, it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Immediately, this begins a framework for the church. The Holy Spirit led the disciples now to teach the word, to have fellowship, to break bread and have communion, and to pray. This is only four, and I'm going to talk about the remaining two as we keep going on at the end of, or in the middle to end of the sermon. But I believe what's key in all of this is the manner as to how they did the framework. There's a certain way that this framework was done. A very important manner as to how they did it. And it's given to us here as we began to read in verse 42 where it says, and they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly. What does it mean to continue steadfastly? In other words, they were constant. They were unwavering. They were diligent in doing the, this framework. And we're talking about the people. We're not talking about just a few people. It is saying that all 3,000 of those that were converted, of those that were deeply cut when the gospel went out, that these 3,000 were now unwavering in their faith. In other words, they were diligent in doing these activities. Talk about a faith choice. Talk about a real commitment here. In other words, when these people were saved, they continued steadfastly in hearing the word, in fellowship, in breaking bread and communion, and in prayer. What does this tell us? What happens after we're saved? How were we after we got saved? Let me share something here because it's very applicable for today when we look at the church as many people are are getting saved what happens is you know what they're touched by a message you know what the holy spirit convicted them their hearts were pierced and then come the second week they come back to church come the third week they miss church come the fourth week they miss again Come the fifth week, they miss again. And then, you know what? And they say, you know what? I got to go back to church. So they come back the sixth week. And then they miss and they miss. That's not true commitment. Remember that. Remember these guys continued steadfastly. They were diligent. They were sold out. They were truly committed. What happens to many people is, you know, as they... Give themselves to the Lord. What happens is, you know what? The things of the world or Satan or the weakness of their flesh, they pull them away from the things of God. But we know not everyone is like this because there are some that as soon as you give yourself to the faith, as soon as you surrender yourself to Jesus Christ, you're all in. You want to be there Sunday. You want to be there midweek. You want to be a part of the fellowships. It doesn't mean that everyone isn't fully committed because some of this happens later too right they they you know what they realize you know what i as i go back and as i you know what as i just experience the world again i don't want that what drew me to jesus christ what drew me to the word what drew me to him is what i want imagine these three thousand people 
Think about this. They were fully committed. They were being taught. They were being discipled. They were taking communion. They were fellowshipping with one another. They were praying together. Can you, believe, can you see this? Can you see? Imagine just to break bread together. You have 3,000 people. You have 3,000 people that are praying together. You have 3,000 people that are being taught that they're eager to hear the word of God. They can't wait to hear the word of God being spoken. Let's look at these, this framework. Let's look at them individually. The first that we talked about was the word of God. The new converts were taught, it says, the apostles' doctrine. When we look at the apostles' doctrine, does this mean that they were not taught the teachings of Jesus? Absolutely not. The apostles' doctrine came from the teaching of Jesus. Look at what it says in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 19. It says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. This is Jesus saying these things. You teach them all the things that I have taught you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The apostles' doctrines was the Lord's teaching, the instruction that he gave them here in the Great Commission. Remember, the instruction, the Great Commission is about what? Making disciples. That's what the Great Commission is. If you think it's just going out there and sharing the faith, no, it's about making disciples. See, discipleship is key to the church. It's very key to this church. You know, if someone was to ask you, you know what, what does Calvary Chapel La Puente do? What, what's one of the things that they do best? It would be my desire that you would say that they disciple us, that they teach us. You know, this is why we have these discipleship programs going on, why we have the men's discipleship, why we're, we have the women's discipleship. This is why we teach the way we do. This is why we have these One Step to Freedom Classes, this is why we do the things that we do, so that you can grow in your faith, so that you can mature in your faith, so that when the trials come, that you're able to stand on the word of God, the rock. This is why we do what we do. When we look at the apostles' doctrine, what was the apostles' doctrine? You know, it contained the letters, right? We have many of the letters, the uh, the insight, the, what the Lord had taught the apostles and these writers, this is what we have as a New Testament. But we also know that they also taught from the Old Testament. When we think about here the old and the new, remember the old is as critical as the new. Did you know that there are some churches that will only teach you the New Testament? They ignore the Old Testament. They don't even go into the Old Testament. Everything is about teaching you the New Testament, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. Why? Because the Old Testament, as the Lord said, look at what it says, what Jesus said in Luke 24, verse 44, where he said, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So it's all about Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament is about Jesus. So when we teach you the Old Testament, we understand and we know God and we know his plan for us. And I want to teach you how relevant the Old Testament is. 
And remember when Paul, when he was talking to the church there in Ephesus, he was talking to the elders there? And look at what he said to them in Acts 20, verse 27. He says, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I have been shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. What counsel was he giving them? He was giving them the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament Bible the way we have it today. So he was teaching them from the Old Testament. He taught the early Christians from the Old Testament scriptures. See, when it comes to the old and the new, I want to share this with you. Here at Calvary Chapel, we... Is it a bit warm in here? If someone can check the air, please, and turn that on for us. Or is it just me? Or is it the Holy Spirit moving through here? I think that air conditioner is off. If someone can turn it on, please. But I want to give you this. Here at Calvary Chapel, we teach you through the Word. I want you to understand that we look at the Old Testament as important as the New Testament. In case you don't know, one of the Calvary Chapel distinctives is a priority of the word. A distinctive is what we do different. Just so you know, we, everyone teaches the word, but they may not teach through the word. And there's various distinctives that we have as a church. And, and these are the distinctives that share Calvary Chapel, that reveal who Calvary Chapel is. And I want you to know one thing. Don't ever think that, you know what, that we have spiritual pride or that we're better than anyone else because that is not the case. We are not better than any other churches or what we do is right and what they do is wrong. I just want you to know that as a Calvary Chapel, this is who we are. See, the priority of the word is who we are. This is what we give you. This is our distinctive. And we know how relevant and critical it is for the growth of a believer. So what do we do? Just like Paul says to the Ephesian elders, I have not shunned to give you the whole counsel of God. But when you look at Isaiah, look at what he said. Isaiah 28, verse 13. This is from the Old Testament where he says, But the word of the Lord was to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Teaching the word of God line by line, chapter by chapter, is so effective. It matures the hearer. Understand one thing is that I love teaching this way, right? Why? Because see, if I ever taught in any other fashion, if, I were, if we were topical teachers or if I was a topical teacher, then one of you can easily come to me and say, hey, you taught that stuff because my wife told you about me. Or my husband, you know what? He shared things about me as his wife, right? And you're teaching that way because of that. You know what? That's not the case, see, because when we go line by line, chapter by chapter, we're going to teach you the full counsel. No one can accuse me of saying, you're teaching it because of this. No, this is where we are in the scriptures, and this is why we teach the way we do. And what's also amazing about all of this is that I'm going to teach you subjects that maybe I'm not comfortable with. I'm not just going to choose you, you know, not to say, you know what, I just want to choose this topic today because that other topic is, you know what, I'm not comfortable with that. I am required to teach you the whole counsel of God. I want to also remind you of this. Did you know that there are teachers out, there's actually books out there that give you sermons throughout, for every day of the year? And did you know that some preachers, teachers, pastors will take those sermons and teach you those sermons? But that's not what we do here. 
See, what we want to do and what, what we want to make sure is that you are well-fed, that you are healthy, that you are well-fed, well-fed sheep. See, because when you are well-fed, you grow. You know, I was looking at a, a, uh, a film of Pastor Chuck when he was talking at a pastor's conference, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, imagine this. What if I fed you every Sunday and every Wednesday? What if I just gave you hot fudge Sundays? You'd be fat and you'd be happy, right? But that wouldn't be good for you. Think about that. Would that be good for you? Absolutely not. What do we want? We want the steak and the potatoes, right? We want the salmon and the rice. We want the chicken enchiladas and the rice and beans. We want this meal, right? We want to walk away well fed. And how do we get this? As we go through the word. Remember what it says, and even Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, where he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is the word of God that fills our soul, that transforms our lives, that grows us and matures us. This is why we give you the full counsel. This is why on Wednesdays we're in the Old Testament and on Sundays we're in the New Testament. We live and we thrive by the word of God. What's the next framework? The next framework is fellowship, right? Framework number two is fellowship. The word fellowship, what does the word fellowship mean? It means koinonia, koinonia. What does koinonia mean? It means communion. And what type of communion are we talking about? We're not talking about taking communion here. We're talking about oneness. We're talking about oneness that comes through partnership. We are one. Can you imagine this? 3,000 people fellowshipping together? Remember, they continued steadfastly in this. In other words, they just didn't say, oh, you know what, I'll go to this fellowship or I'll go to that fellowship. They were, you know what, they were always together. Just like the picnic that we had yesterday. We had over 100 people yesterday. It was awesome. It was great as we, you know what, as we just fellowship together. We had a lot of food together. We had games together, activities together, and we had the word of God together. These 3,000 that were together, they did it diligently they were unwavering. They were committed. They enjoyed one another. I want you to understand one thing about the family of God. The family that you have here, remember this. It is more important than your earthly family. And some of you may take offense to them. Some of you may think, what are you talking about? See, I didn't tell you that it was more important than your earthly family. You know who told you it was more important than your earthly family? It's Jesus Want me to prove it to you? Look at what it says here in Matthew 12, verse 46. And this is, these are the words of Jesus. He says, while he was still t talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brother stood outside speaking to, seeking to speak with him, with Jesus. Then one said to Jesus, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to them, and to, he said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Jesus is saying, who's my mother? Who's my brothers? And Jesus stretched out his hand towards his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus said something that was so radical here. He's saying the disciples, 
those that do the will of God, those that are children of God, those are my brothers, those are my sisters, that is my mother. Imagine this. Radical, right? Think of it this way. How many of you, and I, and I got this from my, my parents, I got this from my mother because my dad wouldn't say much, it's my mother that was vocal, right? What would my, my mother would tell me all the time, man, you are spending so much time at church. How many of you have heard that? Number of you, right? You're always at church now. Why? Because this is our new church family. Think of it, right? You're going to spend eternity with everyone here. Not all of your earthly family are saved. We desire that they be saved. We desire, and that's why we share the gospel with them. That's why we invite them to church, but not all of them are going to receive the Lord. And not all of them are going to be in heaven with us. But you have one guarantee is that everyone here that has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ will spend eternity with us. And we enjoy one another. But see, it's not just about enjoying one another. It's not just about being a part of this new family, but there is something that happens with your new family because we're one. There's a kinship, a knitting together that you have by one spirit and you have one father, and that is God. And look at what happens when we're together. It shares this to us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. It says there, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. How many of us see the day approaching today? The day is approaching, believe me. You have North Korea. Everyone aware of what's happening with North Korea, right? I mean, it's all over the news. Everyone should be aware of this. They want to wipe us out. Can it happen? Only God knows. The day is approaching. We are living in the end times. Everything you see, see here today, it's happening. You have the, the steps towards a one world government. You have the, the, the importance of having a, this one world government, the move towards a united nation ruling and guiding you have the wars and the rumors of war we're not just talking about battles we're talking about world wars that are being spoken of you know you have now i don't know if you know this but the u.s sold off the internet the rights to the internet so that technology can be controlled now by one entity it's not us anymore look it up it's i can imagine why? Because technology is going to be used in the end times. You have these things that are happening. We're living in the last days. And yet the body, what do we do to one another? We stir one another up. See, you are in a spiritual family here. We know that we're, from the, we're not from the same world as everyone else. We have one Father. We have one Spirit. And through them, guess what happens? We stir one another up in love. We stir one another up to do good things. We exhort and encourage one another. This is what the church does. See, when you come to church, you meet somebody, they pray for you, they encourage you. You come because you're down. You come because, you know what, you, you're experiencing something difficult in your life. And what does the church do? You meet somebody, somebody sees you. 
And somebody says, let me pray for you. Somebody encourages you. You hear the word of God. It moves you. The family that you have here is so critical. And there are some of you, and I know this, some of you that say, you know what, I'd rather be alone, right? Some of you say, you know what, I don't need the church. I don't need to participate in fellowship. You know what, I'm okay without them. I'm okay on my own. You know what, you're just hearing a lie from the enemy. The enemy has deceived you into believing these things. The enemy has lied to you into thinking that, you know what, you can be on your own. Why? Because he doesn't want you encouraged. He doesn't want you to be stirred up to do good things. He wants you missing out on these things. The enemy has convinced you that you don't need your spiritual family, but yet the Lord is saying, don't forsake, don't forget, don't neglect the assembling of yourselves. This is so key when it comes to us as believers. I want to share you, show you how critical. See, when you look at believers that are on their own, you never see a, a believer that is on their own, on fire and passionate about Christ. They're not burning for the Lord. Why? Because they don't want to be around the people of God, right? They're saying, I'm okay by myself. So there's a disconnect there. Jesus always wanted to be around the people of God. He wanted to be around people, sharing the gospel, bringing them into the kingdom. See, those that want to be alone, they're never effective. They're never on fire. They're never passionate. But when you see a passionate Christian, when you see a Christian that's filled with the Spirit, that's on fire for the Lord, he wants to be around other believers. Let me share with you the, give you a, an analogy here. The redwood trees. Anybody familiar with the redwood trees, how high they grow. How high does a redwood tree grow? Anybody want to say? What did they say? Thousands or a hundred feet high, right? They grow high. They're tall. They soar to the skies, right? Why? I'll, guarantee, I'll share this with you. You never see a redwood tree on its own soaring to the skies. Why? Because they need each other. Why, why do they need each other? See, the roots are very shallow. They're not very big. But you know what they do with one another? They interlock. They lock together. And this is why they could soar to the skies just like us. Fellowship is so important. Being with one another is so important because we stir one another up. We grow with one another. We encourage one another. Let's go to the third point, the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. This meant that, you know what, the believers were eating together. And not only were they eating together, but they were having communion together. I remember, I remember when we started this ministry. And you know what, as we started the ministry, I mean, it was just a lot of new converts coming, right? And all of a sudden, they wanted to be here. They wanted to stick around, right? And every communion, we'd always have a meal or whatever. Whenever we got together, we were always eating. And guess what was happening? Everybody was gaining weight. They started saying, you know what? Ever since I came to this church, I've been gaining weight. Because people were what? They were breaking bread together. And you know what? Well, let me, you know what? Earlier, I shared this because I had one of the, Spanish leaders here, if, we still have 
food on communion. It's not here on the English side, but it is on the Spanish side. So if you ever want to have food after communion, you can go have services or attend services there in the Spanish ministry. They still have that. But for us, as we see here, we couldn't continue to do this as the numbers continue to grow. We can't, you know what, feed everybody. But we do have food when? When we have fellowships. Like yesterday at the picnic, there was so much food. There was a lot of food, right? And, and you know, in the beginning, I was thinking, how are we going to, you know what, are we going to have food for even, when I first got there, there was maybe 20 people. And within the next hour and a half, I mean, you had over 100 people. And I'm thinking, whoa, but food kept coming in and food kept coming in. I was like, no problem. Everyone's going to be fed here. And there was even leftovers, a lot of leftovers. And so, you know what? This is the way we are. We enjoy, right? Just like you enjoy breaking and eating with your family. Well, guess what? You, are have, you now have a new spiritual family that you're going to spend eternity with. Why wouldn't you want to eat with them? This is the way we do it. But not only do we eat, right? We also want to do what? We want to have communion. Communion is so critical. Think about communion. One thing that I know about communion is the Lord says, I don't want you to stop communion. I want you to have communion until I return. Look at what it says in, in the essence of time. I'm just going to give you the last verse from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We proclaim his death till he comes. So we are to have communion. So does this mean we should have more communion? The eating of bread and drinking the cup? Or should we have less? If we have less, then guess what? Then we tend to forget what Jesus did. If we have more, then it just becomes too common. I truly believe having one communion a month is perfect. It reminds us. Because we can't lose focus of what Jesus has done. The death on the cross is monumental for us. Why is it monumental for us? Because see, because of the death of Jesus Christ, we don't pay the penalty for our sin. What's the penalty for your sin? Death. And Jesus says, I paid it for you. I don't want you to forget these things. Look at what it says, 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to, the, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The power of God. When we look at this, we looked at what the word, we looked at fellowship, we looked at the breaking of bread and communion. Now I'm going to give you the fourth point, the fourth framework for a healthy church. Prayer. Prayer. That's what it says in Acts 2.42. How important is prayer? Prayer is vital. And we're talking about here, we're not just talking about in individual prayer, you guys going into your own prayer closet, and that is very important because we want to be in the presence of God. And when we're praying, we're in the presence of God. We're speaking to God and, and we're having fellowship with God and God desires this, right? Because it's the most important relationship that you will ever have here on earth is God. And so you want to communicate with him. That's what happens through prayer. But an effective church, a healthy church, has corporate prayer. We're not talking about individual prayer. We're talking about corporate prayer. Look at what Jesus said when he talked about corporate prayer. Matthew 18, verses 19 and 20 says, Again, I say to you that if two, or two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where there are two or three 
For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Imagine this. Corporate prayer. How important is that? You know what? When we have our prayer meetings, we probably anywhere between 7, 10, 12. And I, did re- I was reminded when the, I gave this in the first service, I was reminded, well, you know what? I, I don't want to. I need to be fair. I mean, we also have on Monday nights, we have the men's discipleship. We have the, the, uh, the women's uh, intercessory prayer. We also have the one step to freedom. So that pulls some people away from our corporate prayer. But there's a lot more of you that can be a part of that corporate prayer. It's so important. And this is what was a healthy church. Can you imagine 3,000 believers praying? How amazing would this have been? 3,000, this is why, you know, as God was moving powerfully through the church, will we ever get to a point of having at least 50% of our members praying together? That's God's desire. That's my desire. Imagine how powerfully God would move. See, remember, they continued steadfastly. They were diligent in doing these things. It's a beautiful thing. Let me share with you how God moves through corporate prayer. The afterglow. We just had an afterglow. And in our afterglow, we practice the spiritual gifts. It's called a believer's meeting where, where remember where Paul talked about when you have these meetings, you have once, you know, you have one, two, or three speaking in tongues. You have one, two, or three prophesying, but there must be interpretation. And there must be a... Uh, 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 a measuring of the prophecy to make sure that it's accurate. And we had these things. We had these things in our prayer meeting. We had the interpretation of tongues. It's a beautiful thing. We have prophecy to make sure that it's accurate. We have people judging these prophecies. But the Spirit of God moved me, this last one, to say, you know what? Not only are we going to do that, but we're also going to have now another ministry that the Lord has or another gift through the Holy Spirit, which is the healing ministry. The healing, the prayer for healing at our afterglow. And God moved powerfully, and I want to tell you why. Because there was a healing that I can tell you today. And you know who received that healing? Your pastor. I had an enlarged prostate. Two weeks ago, the doctor says, your prostate is so large that you need to go on immediate medication. He says, I can't wait. We've got to do, as soon as I get that blood test, I got to put you on this medication. It is out of, it is whacked out. It is huge. And I'm like, wow. And as most of you know, my wife has been hit with breast cancer. And I was thinking to myself, my wife hit with breast cancer and I hit with the, prost- with the enlarged prostate. I said, man, there's something going on here. And what was so amazing, that's the Lord, the Spirit of God led me to include healing in our afterglow. They prayed for me, and guess who was healed? I was healed. I don't have a prostate. I went to the urologist on Friday because I wanted a second opinion. I didn't want to take the medication. And guess what? As I was examined, the urologist says, your prostate is normal. It's perfect. And that's the Lord. And this is what happens when we have these corporate Prayer groups together. As the Lord says, where one or two are gathered, there I am. I'm in agreement with you. But yet people ignore these things. 
a healthy church prays together. Are we doing these things? Let's keep reading on. We're running out of time. Verse 43 says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Imagine this. There was a reverential awe amongst the people, amongst the 3,000, seeing all this fellowship, seeing all this love, all these, you know what, these prayers, you know what, hearing the word going out with power. They were all in awe. And all of a sudden, they see the apostles performing wonders and signs. Wonders and signs. I want to remind you of something. How many of you, I asked in the first service, and, they, and one raised their hand saying that he had been a part of these type of churches. Anyone ever been a part of a church that loves to do signs every Sunday, every week? Anyone participate in any of these churches here? Doing signs and wonders? No? Well, there's churches out there. But I want to share what's important about this or what's not good about that. Because see, when you have a church that all they want to do is promote signs on a weekly basis, then every week they're trying to figure out what sign are we going to do next. And not only that, but secondly, you're going to have no growth. See, because no one grows through signs. You know how they grow? The Word of God, Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It is the Word of God that builds your faith. When you hear the Word of God, that is what matures you. That is what grows you. Miracles and signs don't grow your faith. They amaze you but you don't grow in faith with these let's keep reading verse 44 goes on to say now all who believe were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need so there was a unity in the church let me remind you of this people were selling all their stuff to help those that didn't have and some have said well you know what as i read this this does this mean that jesus is promoting socialism Absolutely not. This isn't about socialism. Socialism is a forced type of thing, right? But when you look here, it was voluntary. That was the difference. It was voluntary. It was the Spirit of God that was moving in the hearts of people. Imagine the 3,000, they knew that somebody needed something, so they would sell what they had to help one another. Verse 46, so they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. As we hear, read here, they continued in one accord. One accord means what? Unity. They were together as one. And it just wasn't on church day. You know, it's so easy to be united on church, on Sundays or Wednesdays, but they were united daily, it says. Their hearts were not divided. See, this is so important to the framework of a church. There must be unity. As I mentioned to you, a house divided will never prevail. A house divided will only fall. Look at what Jesus said in Luke eleven seventeen: Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. For there to be victory, there must be unity. And as we see there that the apostles still, and the disciples still went to the temple to worship the Lord. Remember they weren't just going house to house. Remember, they were moving away from this Judaism and they were moving now into a Christianity. So there was a slow phase. But as we see here, they were still as one and they said that they were with the simplicity of heart. What does this mean? 
It means that their hearts were sincere in all these things. Their hearts were sincere as they would pray. Their hearts were sincere as they fellowship. Their hearts were sincere as they broke bread. Their, their hearts were sincere as they heard the word of God. There was no hypocrisy. There were no phonies. They were all real. And verse 47 goes on to say as we close, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The sixth and the final framework of the church is that they praised God. They were praising God. You know, it was awesome just to see, you know, what the praising of God. The other, the other day, and I shared this, and I'll see if I remember her name, uh, Carrie, Carrie Job. Anyone know of Carrie Job? I think some of you have seen her, right? You've probably been to her concerts and all that. I had never seen her sing, and I've heard her songs on the radio. I didn't know who she was. I mean, I, I know the, who she is now because of when I was looking at it on, on my, you know, on the YouTube, on, I put it on the screen of my television there, and I was like, wow, this young girl just was flowing with the Spirit of God, and the people were, that were at the concert were just praising God. And it's beautiful to see the praising of God you know, that's God's desire that we would praise him. You know, it was, it was awesome to see. I mean, for many of you, you don't know that my wife is actually, that she's saying, you heard her here, right? It, it was awesome to see her once again, you know, what's seeing, leading us in worship. She started this. When we started the ministry, I want you to know, we didn't have a band. I mean, we didn't have the worship team. We, we only had Nancy. Nancy would sing for us in a cappella. And it was beautiful. And then she was part of the worship team, right? And, and the boys were, you know, they were still young. I mean, we're talking about, you know, when we first started almost 10 years ago. And so my oldest son would have only been, uh, what, 11 years old? And they were there playing guitar. And my other son was playing drums, the little ones. And then Nancy started singing. And it's beautiful to see it again and to hear when we praise the Lord. But I want you to know one thing. It's not just about praising the Lord here at church. It's about praising the Lord throughout the week. That's a lifestyle that we should have. To be sharing the gospel with others. To be talking about God with others. And as we see here, what did the Lord do in closing? He added to the church daily those who were being saved. I want to remind you of an important thing. It is God who adds to the church. You and I do not add to the church. All we've been given is a great commission, right? Go out there and teach people the things that I taught you. You share, you invite them to church. And remember, as we shared last week, a spirit-filled Christian is going to be inviting people to the church. You can't contain, you can't hold Jesus back. You want to share them with others. You want to invite people to the church. And that's all we're called to do. It's God that adds to the church. There's so many of you that didn't start with us. The church continues to add people, new people. Guess who does that? It's the Lord. It's not us. It's not you. We don't have that responsibility. It's God that adds. It's the Lord that adds. And does it mean that we must be a mega church, a in order to be successful, in order to be effective? Absolutely not. The adding means that there's new people coming. And I want to share this with you. You know what's most important? It's not the number. What's most important is your growth. 
The fact that you are not the same anymore. The fact that you are changing. Your life is transforming. Your way of thinking is transforming. You're not saying and doing the same things you used to do because the Spirit of God is what is transforming you. The Word of God is transforming you. You're not the same like you were before. And that's what is important. It's the spiritual growth in all of us. This is the first time, so you know, in this verse that the word church was used. The first time. It's never been used before. You know what church means? In the Greek, the word is ekklesia. Ekklesia. You know what ekklesia means? It means assembly. Remember what he said in Hebrews 10, 24? Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves. I know for some, the message is piercing, and for others, it's comforting. A healthy church means that we're going to have healthy members that desire to be a part of the assembly, that desire to be a part of these things that are going on. Don't let the enemy say, oh, you know what, today, I'm not going to church today, man. You know what, I slept late last night. Or you know what, I want to sleep for another hour. Or you know what, I don't want to go up there and hear that Pastor Tony speak again. Whatever it is, it's the enemy that keeps you out. It's the enemy that's telling you, don't go because I don't want you to be stirred up. I don't want your life to change. I don't want you to be encouraged. I don't want you to have, you know what, these people encourage you and stir you up to do good things. Don't listen to the enemy. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves. Jesus says, don't forsake. Don't neglect. Don't do this because he knows how effective a healthy church is. Amen? Let's pray.